All right, today, what is your go-to Chick-fil-A meal? It's an important question. Are you kind of the, the regular chicken sandwich type person? Do you, do you like to kick it up a notch and go with spicy? Or do you, are you more the grilled, you know, the heart-healthy grilled sandwich? Or maybe you're the type of person who makes your choice and then puts a deluxe on it. Um, then again, there are the nuggets people and the grilled nuggets and the chicken strips. And maybe you're a salad person. Who knows? For me, my go-to is I get the grilled chicken sandwich with the waffle fries. I figure that the grill just opens up the door to go with the waffle fries, and how can you say no to the waffle fries? Of course, I wash it all down with that unsweetened iced tea with just a splash of lemonade. Okay, a little high maintenance. Here's what you get with every meal, regardless of what you order. If you happen to say thank you, you will most likely receive my pleasure, my pleasure. The story behind that is that Truett Cathy, the, the founder of uh, Chick-fil-A, uh, he was at a Ritz-Carlton, and he said thank you to one of the staff members there, and, and the staff member replied, my pleasure, and he said, that sounds classy, and so he brought it into his restaurant business. There's this post on cbs.com that an entrepreneur was providing a, a, a brief essay on the six most important words, or the six words that matter for customer service. And in his list were the words delighted, absolutely, happy, sorry, yes, and the word pleasure. You know, when we think about the church today, there can be this temptation that what we really exist for is customer service. Like we want to say the, the right things so that people will like us. And if they like us, maybe they might come to our church. And so, so and if we're really kind to them and really nice to them, maybe they might get involved in our church. And all of a sudden we turn serving others into a means to an end. But I believe we have a higher calling than that. And that's what we're going to explore today. Um, let me set up our passage. Our uh, passage is uh, coming on the heels of the passage we looked at last week. So last week we looked at the actual act of Jesus washing feet. He had his disciples with him and they were in the upper room and, and he washes their feet. He did, he did it right during the meal. So it wasn't the typical washing of feet as someone comes in a door, but he wanted to, to teach something. He wanted to demonstrate that something, and he did it through washing feet. Well, as he's washing their feet, he comes to Peter, and Peter says, no way, no way, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. I, how could I ever have you wash my feet? And of course, Jesus then says, and we explored this last week, that, you know, unless I wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And so then Peter follows that up with, okay then, well then wash all of me. Wash more. I want more. Wash my hands and my head as well. Um, and Jesus goes, you know, listen, um, the one who's already clean uh, only needs to have their uh, feet washed. And, and we find that he's pointing to the cross. Uh, and in fact, uh, John Calvin in his commentary 
uh, goes on to make this statement that, that Jesus is, <laughs> I love Calvin's just his, uh, um, uh, his sense of, uh, of presence to be able to make a statement like this. He goes, Jesus really wanted to get what we're going to talk about in our passage today, but Peter interrupted him. And so Jesus, being distracted, points the foot washing toward the cross, but now we're really going to get at what Jesus wanted to convey through the foot washing. I, I, we'll let John Calvin say that. Uh, I'm going to leave some sovereignty and intentionality in what we talked about last week. So our passage then uh, this morning is um, uh, John chapter 13, verses 12 through 20. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open those, and, and uh, let's read through the text. We'll put it on the screen as well. Hear the Word of God. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on His outer garments and resumed His place, He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread was lifted, has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. May God bless the reading of His Word, and may God shine His favor upon us as we come under His Word and are guided by it. All right, the first thing I want us to talk about is dirty hands. Dirty hands. And so, when we look back at verse 12, we, we find that John is keeping the narrative going forward. He says, Jesus had just provided the teaching and, and that links what had happened to the, uh, to the cross and had filled some words in it, and John then gets us back to the telling of what actually happened that night he says that when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them. I love this. I love that our attention is not just lost into some, some uh, ongoing teaching or some kind of uh, uh, information that we need, but that we're brought back to the story. It's a great reminder for us that as we enter what we're going to explore, we're not going to just learn something theoretical that this happened, that something took place, that Jesus had gotten his hands dirty in washing feet. He, he moved forward. He did something. Something happened. I know we've talked about this in this room before. I, it may have even been in one of Joss's sermons, but you know that show, Dirty Jobs. Dirty Jobs by Mike Rowe, and I have no idea if it's even on any longer, but it was on the Discovery Channel, and, and that first season when it came out, 
uh, Mike Rowe would, the whole premise of the show was that he would show up in these various towns and, and he'd come alongside somebody who had a dirty job and he would do that job with them and, and you could see what it was like to have that as your livelihood. And so in his first year, he was a garbage collector, a sewer inspector, a pig farmer, a chick sexer, an exterminator, and a sludge cleaner. Talk about dirty hands. Dirty hands. But what Mike Rowe would do is that he would just show up into the town and do it for a short amount of time. He would leave with his production company and go on to some new adventure, but he would leave behind the people who would get their hands dirty every single day. Well, in the story of Jesus, it's not just verse 12 that shows and reminds us that Jesus got his hands dirty. Jesus, we know from the beginning of uh, John's gospel that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus lived a life of serving. He would reach out and connect with people and touch people that other people would stay away from. He would come to the blind and give them sight. He, he, he would listen to someone who no one else would listen to. He, he came to serve. He would serve those who were taking a wrong path and help them to understand what the right path was. Jesus, in his life in this world, got his hands dirty in ministry all the time. He embraced a lifestyle of dirty hands. All right, so then let's talk about argument from the greater to the lesser. And so we find then, beginning at the end of chapter, or verse 12, we find the words, do you understand, Jesus said, what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Foot washing as an example. An argument from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus did this, if Jesus got his hands dirty washing our feet, then, then disciples who are lesser than the greater then they should follow in the same path that they have come to follow Jesus, who is the greater, and so the disciples as the lesser should do as Jesus did. Okay, so I was reading through John Calvin's commentary on this, and if you know a little bit about the Reformation, you know in the 1500s that, that the Reformers were not only going towards something, you know, grace alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. They were also going away from something, they were experiencing some behaviors within uh, the Catholic Church at the time that, that they sensed were just not of God, and, and they were making a strong distinction. They, in their writings, they're not just going towards something. They were very clear what they were going away from. And I want to read you just a portion of his commentary. Um, and if you happen to be connected to a Catholic Church, I, I'm glad you're here today. And what we're going to find out is that, that this could apply to all kinds of groups. So, Let's just see what John Calvin uh, wrote at, back in his day. And this is regarding the papists, those who'd be pro for the pope in his century. 
He writes this. Besides, when they ought to have followed Christ, they were not imitators, but apes. Okay, then. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Don't hold back, John. Um, Every year, they have a fashion of washing some people's feet as if it were a farce which they were playing on the stage. And so, when they have performed this idle, unmeaning ceremony, they think that they have fully discharged their duty and reckon themselves at liberty to despise their brethren during the rest of the year. But, what is far worse, after having washed the feet of twelve men, they subject every member of Christ to cruel torture and thus spit in Christ's face. This display of buffoonery, therefore, is nothing else than a shameful mockery of Christ. At all events, Christ does not here enjoin an annual ceremony, but bids us be ready throughout our whole life to wash the feet of our brethren and neighbors. In his day, he wrote it about papists. I'm sure that in our day, he could write it about pastors. Maybe some of you are listening to uh, the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, uh, posted by Christianity Today. The story of uh, Mark Driscoll and his journey at the Mars Hill Church out west. And in that story, we see a, 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 a pastor that, that um, can be able to speak the things, that, that, that can be able to point to things in Scripture, and yet just his very demeanor, his, his very actions are misaligned uh, with the teachings of Christ. And it's not just Mark Driscoll. Pastors can do this time and time again. We can be really good at teaching something and then fall down when it comes to living it out. That it was, we can say, look at the example of Christ, and then really struggle to say, look at the example of my life. Of course, it's not just pastors. Over the past number of years, under a certain name, there have been a bunch of Christians have, that have collected, and, and they have provided an example to the world that, that seems to be very much out of step with what Jesus taught. That, that word, the, the word evangelicals. By the way, I'm an evangelical, but with a small e. I love the word. I think it's a great word. It comes from the Greek word evangelion, and the word means good news. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Evangelical means I believe the gospel, and I am an evangelical Christian just with a small e. But in our country, we've had um, folks that have come under a title with a capital E of evangelical. And at least in the stories that we have collected, that we have this representation of, of political power and, and, and getting our rights established and, and all kinds of things. Of course, it's not just evangelicals. It could be anybody, anyone following Christ when our lives don't follow the example of the greater. That we, that we get to that place where we no longer acknowledge that we are the lesser compared to Christ, and Christ is our greater in the one who defines the way forward for us. 
No matter what title we put over ourselves as a Christian, it, it, it comes down to will we follow the greater? Will we trust the greater? Will we trust Jesus Christ with how we live? If Jesus did it, we're to follow his example. Dale Brunner, uh, when he was going over this passage, he actually provides a list of, of ways that we can wash feet today. If we're going to follow the example of the greater, what does it look like to wash, the, wash people's feet today? Well, last week we said people just don't walk around in sandals and washing feet is not a normal thing today. And, and so what does it look like to live out washing people's feet? In his list he put, included things like this. Uh, good listening in conversation. Good hospitality with visitors, guests, and callers. Good attention to customers, clients, students, and colleagues in business and work. Good presence with spouse and children. Good being there at your service as a whole way of life. Of course, we don't have to rely on Dale Bruner. The New Testament. The New Testament has these one another's. There's over 50 of them where the teaching at some flow in a, a certain book of the Bible, you'll come across this, uh, how we're to treat one another. And so we can quickly run through the list and just even capture what, what this feels like, what it looks like to wash feet on a daily basis for the lesser to follow the greater, that we would love one another, welcome one another, instruct one another, greet one another, that we would wait for one another, care for one another, that we would comfort one another, bear one another's burdens, bear with one another, be kind to one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, that we would do good to one another, exhort one another, serve one another, that we would live in harmony with one another, show hospitality to one another, that we would not grumble against one another. You know, when you look at that list, you, you can go, wow, that's a big list, and um, it sure seems like a lot to do. What if, you, what if you were to even just take one of those things? Just take one of them. And then instead of saying one another, just put one person's name after it. We're going to welcome Linda. And what if for the, 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 just the next month you were to focus on welcoming Jim or Linda or somebody. The name that you put on it, and for a month's time, maybe two months, maybe a whole season, maybe a year, that you would just focus, I want to welcome Linda. At every turn, I want to welcome Linda in, into uh, conversation. I want to I welcome Jim into my heart. I want to I welcome what, whoever it is into my home, into my life, into Christ. Because I follow the greater, not just as customer service, but I follow the greater and I represent, as the lesser, I represent the greater. What if you were just to choose one of those and at attach someone's name to it? As Jesus modeled, let us follow. As Jesus modeled the greater, as the lessers, let us follow. So let's talk about know and show. Know and show. So in verse 17, we find these words. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, 
blessed are you if you do them. If you know them, show them. If you know them, show them. If you know these things, show these things. Jesus intends us to do what he instructs. And therein lies the blessing. Blessed is the one who does them. Which automatically makes you think of the DMV, doesn't it? You, you, you see the connection. Yes, we'll talk about Jesus showing love in the DMV at the same time. So at the DMV, they test you on what you know. If you're going to go in and get a license, if this is your first license, you know that you've been through it. If you're going to go get a license, they're going to test you on what you know. You have to answer questions. Do you know the laws? Do you know how to treat drivers around you? But then they're going to ask you to show. We're glad you know it, but we need you to show it. You can't just know it. You have to show it. You've, I'm sure in a number of other sermons, if you've been in church at, at, for any length of time, you've heard the name Karl Barth. And probably you've heard this story about Karl Barth. Evidently, it actually took place in uh, Chicago at the Rockefeller Cathedral on the University of Chicago campus. Back in 1962, Karl Barth, this great 20th century theologian, uh, church dogmatics could fill up, you know, whole bookshelves and just this very learned person. And known for his, his theology and his theological writings. And so a student asks him, if you were to take all of what you wrote and you were to just bring it down into one sentence, what would that sentence be? And again, you've probably heard this story, but uh, Bart then answered, well, it was when I was a little kid and, and I learned that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He knew. It's good to know. It's good to know. That's great theology, that, that the thing we need to know is that, yes, Jesus loves us. Yes, last week we talked, we need to be served. We need to be served. We are the served ones of Jesus. Absolutely necessary. Totally sufficient. So what would be a song if we were to think about the ethic of Christianity. If that's the theology of Christian Christianity, what does that turn into as an ethic of Christianity? What does that look like as a practice? Know and show. Also back in the 60s, 1960s, there was a song that came out written by a Catholic priest that will simply said, they will know we are Christians by our love. That's how they'll know we are Christians. By our love. I have given you an example that you should do what I do. Being loved by Jesus is absolutely to result in loving others. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. We get better at it. The more we, we trust that God will transform us, that, that we don't transform ourselves, that God is the one who transforms us, we just keep coming back to Jesus going, I'm going to follow you. You gave me an example. I'm going to learn that. I'm going to love so-and-so. I'm going to welcome so-and-so. I'm going to uh, exhort so-and-so. I'm going to encourage so-and-so. Because I follow you. In that way, whenever someone, if someone ever were to say thank you, we can say, my pleasure. Not just because we love that other person, but because we're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. Because we're following 
our Lord and Savior. Because as the lesser, we're following the greater. And we know him and we know his love. And we want to show his love. And so, of course, my pleasure. My pleasure. Here's the last thing. It's Jesus, Bob. It's Jesus, Bob. You know that old line of, it's the economy, stupid. We don't need to get derogatory here. It's Jesus, Bob. 1320, listen to these words of Jesus. Truly, truly, by the way, we're skipping over 18 and 19 because we're going to talk about Judas next week. And we're going to capture what has already been said about Judas in our passages. And we'll pick that up next week. And what we're looking at in verse 20 here actually connects with what it says about Judas. But there's a connection to the larger passage as well. So in verse 20 it says, Truly, truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Let's pause on that. Whoever receives the one I send, Jesus says, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me, Jesus said. It's Jesus, Bob. We represent Jesus wherever we go. It's not just some kind of trick to get people to come to our church. We represent Jesus wherever we go. For us, it's way more than customer service. It's obedience to Christ. It's knowing and showing Christ's love in this world. You know, when you go to a restaurant and you sit down to have a meal, someone typically comes to your table and introduces himself. Hi, I'm Bob. I'm going to be your waiter today. When we as the lesser follow our greater, when we as Christians follow our Christ, it's like we go to people all over the world, and whether or not we actually say these words, is, but this is our approach. Hi. I'm Bob. I'm going to be your Christ follower today. And so you, with your name, hi, I'm, I'm going to be your Christ follower today. And it's my pleasure. Let's pray together. Father, we do indeed thank you that you sent your son into this world. That we would have new life through him that his love, that he got his hands dirty, that we would have life, that, that we would become clean, that you would wash us as white as snow. And we're thankful, too, that he gave us an example, that the life he lived, he calls us to live into that life ourselves, that we would be able to represent his love in this world, that we would serve others. So, God, wherever we've made it about ourselves, wherever we have allowed our entitlement and our privilege and our self-centeredness and our weaknesses and our brokenness and all the other things, whatever else has captured us, magnetized our focus, collected us away from your call to love others, would you release us and heal us and free us and send us out anew and send us out again that indeed we would follow Christ as servants of his, serving the people in this world. And to you be all the glory, in Christ's name, amen.